Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hello, listeners. Hi, Shannon. Hello. It's a beautiful day. We're happy to be here. Later on in this episode, people, we are going to be talking about that happy day. That is song nine <gasps> from the 2020 project. I can't believe we're already at song nine. I'm so grateful we're already at song nine. It feels like an eternity and also it went fast. Like, yeah, yeah both mean, things are true. We're not done yet, so. We've been sprinting <laughs> the whole time, so it makes sense it feels like we've been going fast, because we have, but also song one seems like a distant memory from it a different time. It does. It's so wild. But that happy day. We're going to talk all about that second half of this episode. It's a Hooray! different kind of song for us. We're excited for you to hear it. Yeah. First people though, here's the deal. Misfit Stars is how our people support the work that we do. So what that means very simply is that Shannon and I have been working for the last year or so to really remove as much as transactionality as we can out of what we do. Yeah. You know, it's a it's a weird thing and it takes a little bit of explanation because what, <laughs> what we're used to with musicians, with artists, is artist makes thing, artist sells thing as widget. So maybe an artist paints a painting, they sell you that painting. Maybe an artist makes a song and they try to sell you that song, right? It's this sort of widgetized view of art in the world. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but no one's buying music anymore. <laughs> That's just like Spotify ruined that. Real talk. Uh, totally. Like music sales are kind of not a thing. You can do some niche stuff in vinyl. Our people don't like vinyl. So really we don't sell music. It doesn't mean people don't. Some people do like vinyl, but not very many. That's right. Not enough to keep that train going. No, I mean, to, to the 30 people who buy our vinyl each year, mwah. we appreciate you so much. And we see you because we're vinyl listeners too. You know mm -hmm, what I mean? And mm -hmm. we make it because we love it. But we understand it's a small minority and that's just how that yeah, is. Yeah, the bigger picture is that people just... Stream music. Yeah. And doesn't mean they don't want to support art though. It's true. And so the way that we have sort of squared this big circle in our lives is we have shifted a lot of what we do in terms of the ongoing support for what we do to a subscription model, to yeah. like a monthly support, recurring support model. Yes. And you know, you might listen to this and going, well, I can't do that. I can't give you guys a hundred bucks a month, which is surely what you would need as artists, right? It's not true. We have a support level starting at five bucks a month. The point is to get as many people as possible who feel supportive of what we do, supporting it. Because even if you just support it in a small way, that's fine. It's just a little thing for you. But when you add it with everyone else's support, it adds up to something much bigger. Yep. And we play the numbers in that way. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, you know, one of the cool things about this sh this shifting paradigm of, of, of support for artists and, and how we're doing it uh, with this monthly thing um, is that it really, like, this is unexpected for me. Like it, it, in, in shifting to more to this like monthly support, what this is doing and it's happening in real time is it's allowing us to figure out new and different ways to do what we do for our community um, that like it's it's sort of like freed from the chains of the old model. Yeah, because you know? we don't have to think how can we monetize every single yes. thing that we're thinking of. Exactly. So that's really neat. Like oh, I, so I, I don't even think that we have even begun to see sort of what might grow out of this this turned over soil. You know what it's I mean? It's so great. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you the first thing that's going to grow out of it, what? but I can't tell you until we start announcements. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you want to get to announcements? Yeah. Well, first of all, if you want to no, be- No, no, no. Don't even do it. No. Just go to announcements. No, because if you want to join Misfit Stars, the supportive community- You haven't read the first announcement yet, have you? Well, okay, that's fine. But if you want to join and you're thinking right now, you're already convinced, you go to misfitstars.com slash join. Yeah, do it. That's how you do it. Good. Okay. So you want to do announcements now? Yeah. Is that what I, I, I had this really smooth segue planned. It's, I'm it's, so sorry. It's not smooth anymore, but it doesn't matter. Well, Do the song. It's going to be great. clue me in next time. Announcements. I, I did clue you in. I sent you the script. That's what the script literally is. It's your clue. No, I know, but, but never mind. Announcements. <laughs> announcements. Announcements. <laughs> 
That's a good announcement, son. It was not very good, but I, go ahead. What's your big announcement, Jamie? Check this out, people. Okay. So one of the ways in which we're able to do cool work in the world without ah, having to figure out how to monetize it I see what is that for. we are able to put a bunch of our time into starting an anti-racist book and movie club. Yes. Which, oh my gosh, so exciting. Uh, and I just want to update people on this. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Uh, we have people in our Misfit Stars community who have raised their hand and said, yeah, I want into that space and we have let them into the space. That's all you got to do is ask. So if you're in Misfit Stars, just ask. Uh, and Shannon just a couple of days ago announced the first book and the first movie and also the first two book club meeting times, which is so exciting. We're going to do our discussions on Zoom because that's what we do now. And that's, it's great because no matter where you are, we can all meet together. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's really, really good. And we have people involved in this book club from at least two countries that I can think of and at least... Uh, like 10 states, like all parts of the country. Yeah. It's so exciting. So uh, the smooth pivot, check this out. Here's oh, where I oh, stick okay. the landing on this one. Let's hear it. There's still plenty of time to get involved in the Misfit Stars anti-racist book and movie club. So A, if you're in Misfit Stars, just ask and we'll let you in. B, if you're not, but you're like, hell yes, I would like to be in an anti-racist book and movie club with Janie and Jamie and Shannon and their closest, dearest people. You just go to misfitstars.com slash join. You'll be supporting the work that we do. And in that non-transactional kind of way in which, yes, we're musicians and artists working in the world, but somehow because you're supporting us, what you get out of it is an anti-racist book and movie club because well, that's non-transactional and amazing. Well, yeah, and, and this is one of the things that is exciting to me about like what we're seeing is possible with this with this new this new way of of uh, of supporting, you know, an artist, art, an artist couple's work <laughs> here. You know, like I, this is a passion of mine. Like it happens to be something that I'm really fired up about. And so I put the question to our uh, Misfit Stars. Uh, we have a private social network for our Misfit Stars, and I put the question to them uh, a, a couple weeks ago. Like, hey, would anybody here be interested in starting an anti-racist book and movie club with me and other Misfit Stars? And there was a ton of response, which is awesome because, like, this is not something that like I, I don't know I mean I don't know what if would I've what I have like uh conceived of doing this pre misfit stars I don't I'm not sure but like this don't is know. one of the things this is one of the things that like I had the idea and I was able to make it reality in the space that we've created for community in misfit stars with everybody who supports us at, in that social network so it's just really neat it's really it's like I'm really looking forward to to uh, facilitating this group and if you're curious uh, the first movie that we're going to watch and then discuss together we're, we watch it separately and then discuss it uh, together the first movie is I am not your Negro um, which uh, was a, a, a film made, released in 2017 by Raoul Peck mm -hmm. and uh, about some unfinished writing uh, by James Baldwin. Yeah. Um, it's like a James Baldwin doc, sort of. It, it is, but it's exploring his ideas and so it really, you know, and specifically his ideas about the lives and the work of um, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and it's escaping my my thought, the, the third person that he, oh, Omega Evers is yes, of the, course. the third person. Um you know, so when we saw the film in 2017 in the theater, we saw it when it was in the theater. It was so powerful. Well, you know, my 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 memory of that experience was that we went to our little indie house theater in Pasadena mm -hmm. and we sat there with the other audience members and we watched the whole film. The credits rolled. Nobody got up out of their seats. The lights came up. Came up Nobody got up out of their seat. <laughs> Every single person in that theater was just sort of sitting in stunned silence for a moment. Yeah. Or like 
talking quietly with their partner. But needing to needing a moment to yeah. collect themselves. I needed a moment to just be like, okay, that was something like a holy experience watching yeah. that, you know, just to acknowledge the moment. So I, you know, and this was really at the very beginning of my own personal sort of awakening to the idea that racial injustice was a major issue in our country. I am late to the party, folks. I understand 2017 is late to the party. But hey, you know what? But, as long as you show up, that's good. But but my point is that this was the beginning of that for me. And, uh, and, and so... I was just a sponge absorbing all kinds of ideas. Well, you know, it's four years later and I've done a lot of intentional growth and reading and learning and unlearning since then. So I'm really eager to watch the film again, sort of with new eyes. You know, like I wonder if there's going to be another layer of of, of, of impact it's going to make for me. And so, and I'm obviously really excited to discuss it with the group. The book that we're going to do first um, is, I'm also really excited about, uh, it is an anthology of stories. It just came out like last week or so, mm-hmm. within the last couple of weeks. Brand new. An anthology of, of stories um, edited by Tarana Burke mm-hmm. and Brene Brown. Uh, Tarana Burke, you may know her, um, she's very well known for as the founder of the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. but also also very involved in uh, in racial justice issues. Brene Brown, doctor of sociology who does work... Um, probably needs no on, introduction. He probably doesn't need any introduction. Anyway, they teamed up to, uh, to compile a book of stories... Um, that really centers just the the black experience in America and and tied so it's in, like an anthology. It is. It's lots of different writers from different walks of life. And when I heard I heard Toronto Burke speak in an interview about it uh, last week, and this is what convinced me that I wanted to choose this as our first book. Uh, she said something to the effect of how she was watching all of the the racial justice protests, you know, the uprising that happened last summer after George Floyd was murdered. Um, and she called up uh, her friend Brene Brown to have this discussion, and she basically said something like, "You know, anti-racism work is very important. We need to be doing that." But I feel like there's this piece missing that you know where we're you know if we're just going for the the learning and the and the sort of the you know approaching this from a, a sort of facts, figures, data point of view, you know, policy point of view. If we don't address the humanity of all of this first, I feel like there's something missing in the work. Oh, totally. Was, so, so the idea was to put like together all of the interest. <laughs> well, but I think that it was it was a really insightful comment. You know, yeah. like that if we could just you know if our motivation for doing this work really is humanity. Yeah. And so this anthology of stories is uh, it deals with with uh, it, they're they're all black writers who have contributed, and um and it's is an opportunity for readers to get in touch with their experience of shame and vulnerability and and how do you take your armor off and 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 be vulnerable and be that kind of a person in a world that is not safe for you to do that you know that is really that's that's the essence of the book i get i already have read so far mm-hmm. uh, in my in the synopses so i'm really looking forward to the, to this book and i think it's going to introduce us to like a whole new range of of writers and creators which is so too. exciting yeah. yeah in the same way that like a compilation album can introduce you to a whole bunch of new yeah. artists an anthology can introduce you to a whole bunch of new writers and thinkers and it's yeah. really great and what a great way to kind of get this project started 
started. And I want to mention also that uh, the James Baldwin movie, yeah, it's just free on YouTube. Yeah. And so if you're sitting here listening to this like, oh man, book and movie club sounds expensive, just know that we're doing our absolute best to A, just source things that are just free to access to begin with, and that B, if they're not free, that we help you find accessible, free, or incredibly cheap ways to access them. Like, for example, virtual libraries for the books, stuff like that. Yes, and the flip side of that is if you can't afford to support the work of these these artists, these writers, these filmmakers... It's important to do that. And so I've given a bunch of resources for how to access the book and the, and the movie. Obviously, it's easy this time. But uh, I, there's in the anti-racist book and movie, movie club inside our, our social network, um, I've, I've provided a link for how you can purchase this book uh, from a black-owned bookstore. Perfect. So um, th- it's great. It's good, it's good to be able to support the work of these people. It's, it's, it's important. It's an important part of this. It's so very, very important. If you can, you should. Great. So... That's the anti-racist book and movie club. Right on. Technically, that was still an announcement. It wow. was. I know. What we're a good still in announcements. <laughs> All right. I just have a short announcement. Uh, we're still collecting people's stories. So if you have a story that you'd be willing to share about getting involved in democracy in 2020 or about celebrating the outcome of the U.S. election, whether you live in the U.S. or not, <laughs> seriously, right. no, everyone in the world was watching. It's this was an important so one. true. To our credit, we did not fuck it up. Uh, we, have, time. we have time to do that in the future, <laughs> but we're not there yet. Yeah. Let's live in the present. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a story about getting involved in democracy in 2020 or about celebrating the outcome of the U.S. election, please email it to me. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to be like some literary genius. You don't have to write me 3,000 words. Mm-hmm. You could write me a paragraph. You could write me a sentence or two. The important thing is that we capture your voice in this project. We want to capture as many perspectives, as many people's voices as mm-hmm. we can because we're preserving your perspectives for posterity. Mm-hmm. And so when that works the best is when there's a broad array, a diversity of perspectives because it's when you approach a story from a multitude of angles Mm. that you outline it the best and sort of get at that truth and the phantom center in between all of those perspectives. I love that, yeah. Yeah, you can email the stories to me. That's at jamie at misfitstars.com, J-A-M-I-E at misfitstars.com. Right on. And that's about getting involved in democracy in 2020 or about celebrating the outcome of the U.S. election. Can't wait to hear your stories. Mm -hmm. And if you want to read other people's stories, just go to 2020101.net. We have ever more stories living there. All the time. I need to catch up on my reading, actually. Oh, there's been some good stuff recently. I got to do that tonight before bed. That's my favorite time to do it is right before bed Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's just a nice... Bedtime story experience. It really is true. It's <laughs> yeah. very soothing to read other people's stories. It really it's is. It's been such a big side benefit of this project. I didn't really anticipate, but it's really cool. Absolutely. And on this note of this project, we have an, our next song, song 10, will be coming out on Monday. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> Contractually obligated not to stop. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm writing that song right now and... Um, on the topic of, you know, it's soothing to hear other people's stories. That's part of the experience for the songwriting of these for me. You know, I get to go back through the stories we collected prior to, you know, the beginning of this project and reread the stuff that folks shared with us that became the themes for these songs, you know? And it's it's always... really a neat experience for me to dive back into the stories around each of the themes as I get into songwriting. And I had that experience this afternoon as I was getting back into the stories. It was pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. How good. All right. So how are you feeling today, Shannon Curtis? Oh, the, ch- the feeling check-in. Yeah. It's good. Um, I feel good. 
I feel good. I actually got to go outside for a little while. Uh, you went to a doctor's appointment and I had some time by myself. And so I went out in the backyard and it was mm -hmm. warm enough to do some of my lyric writing mm. outside. And not only was it productive, but it felt great. And I like got to listen to the birds chirping and the mm -hmm. doves crying and see the little white butterfly flitting by every once in a while. And We have one white butterfly and I think it's lived in our yard the entire time we've been here. <laughs> it's, got a, it's like a decade old. It's like it's, the Methuselah of butterflies. Got to be a family of butterflies, but yeah. <laughs> I wonder how long do butterflies live? Well, I've never seen more than one butterfly. No, you have. We've seen two dancing around oh, together. Oh, have we? Yeah. Oh, because I was going to say that would, because if, if we see two, then that implies that they're like reproducing and there's like a constant cycle of butterflies. Yeah. I've only ever remembered seeing one, so I was like, maybe it's just one really old butterfly. <laughs> don't think they live very long. Yeah. I think that probably your analysis of the situation is more plausible and therefore probably more accurate. I like your idea of an ancient white butterfly though. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Maybe how, like a spirited away kind of thing. You know yes, what I mean? Where it's just I, like an ancient spirit living in our backyard. Yes. Well, it probably is. Just bonking ineptly into trees. Definitely is that. Yeah. yeah. So I feel good. I, Cause I, I, being outside just even for a little while um, and getting to do some, some writing out some thinking and some writing out there was really nice. Uh, so that, I feel, I feel good. Um, I, I am, there is that, that undercurrent of just kind of tired. Yep. More than kind of, just tired. And Pretty it, tired. You know, yeah. But I'm all right. Like I'm hanging on, I'm hanging in. Um, you know, I, I, I am very much looking forward to getting some rest, some proper rest uh, when this project, when this part of this project is over. Yeah. Um, but There's a whole not, other summer component, but we can do that sort of on our own time and that's going to be great. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm overall, I'm overall, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I feel good. How good. about you? What are you? How are you feeling today? I feel pretty good today. I woke up energized. I didn't do my full complement of sleep cycles. Like I got up and like an hour and a half before I was imagining I would get up, before mm -hmm. I was planning to get up. But I just felt good. So I just kind of lingered in bed, just kind of like listening to you sleep, which was very restful and nice. <laughs> and then I got to leave the house and get in the car by myself and drive somewhere. That which hardly ever happens. Almost never happens. <laughs> yeah, people, in case you're wondering, Shannon and I are rarely fewer than about 20 feet apart. It's true. Well, I mean, it's not that we can't be apart. It's just that... If one of us has an errand to do, usually the other one of us is like, yeah, I want the opportunity to get the excuse to get out of the house yeah. too. And so we go do the errands together. Yeah. So we're very, very rarely apart. But we got yeah. I had too much to do to go with you to the doctor today. It's true. Yeah. I got to go to the doctor. It was very fun. <laughs> uh, I really like our doctor situation. We're just very lucky. We have a very nice person. So that's good. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just want people for a routine physical. Don't be alarmed. Uh, and I want you to know that I am the very specimen of good health. Well, that's good to yeah. hear. Uh, I believe the word that uh, that P.A. Cho used with me was excellent. Very good. In describing me and my physical plant. Well, that's lovely to hear. Yeah, feeling good about that. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, and I had the best uh, phlebotomist. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I had the best blood drop. Barely even felt it. And she did the most ingenious taping of the cotton thing. Oh. She sort of double braced it around both sides of my elbow so you can flex without it just falling off like oh. everyone else's like tape job always does. Oh. Really next level. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> 
So just a really great experience all the way around. Also because of the pandemic, it's free parking. Things are really looking up. Uh, ran a couple errands. I got to see, I, I saw two people in the community who I knew and I was able to give both of them hugs. That's so great. Oh my gosh. One of them was just our dear friend, Courtney. Uh, happened to see her at the post office and we got to chat and I, but like, I saw her and I was like, you're vaccinated, right? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, can I give you a hug? Aww, and I was that's her, so great. She said I was her first post-COVID hug oh. and that's an honor for me. That is a badge of honor. That's really cool. Oh my gosh. Really made my day. And then I went over to Metropolitan, saw our dear friend Lorraine awesome. and got to give her a hug too. Aww. Hugs for everyone. It was really nice. Vaccinated. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I'm really looking forward to more of that. So, um, you know, that's all to say I'm feeling good. I've had a fun day out of the house. Uh, I feel I feel good. I caught up on rest finally. I was really, really burned out at the end of the last week. Mm. I'm still burned out, mm-hmm. but now I'm burned out and rested. Yeah. Which is a great combination because it means I'm cheerful and unfocused. You can push a little <laughs> And you can probably push a little farther on that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like we have, what, 16 more days to go? I can do that. Yeah. That's no, no big no deal. No problem. You can do it. Yeah. Hey, should we fire up the good news machine? Oh, hell yeah, we Let's should. Let's fire up the good news machine. What? What? I'm giving, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just having that was fun. really good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what is your good news? My good news, uh, so my good news is pretty cool. My good news is Joe Biden saying he'll throw the weight of the U.S. government behind waiving COVID-19 vaccine patents. Hallelujah. You know, uh, and it's not a done deal yet. Like it still has to be argued before the international community, but the United States government is going to be putting their weight behind that argumentation and that's going to really help. Yeah, Here's and hoping. Th- the idea is that like there are, there are lots of countries around the world poorer countries than the United States yep. and poorer countries than like European countries and mm-hmm. things like that, that are in desperate need of lots of vaccinations. I mean, look at India right now. Yeah. Look they, at, I mean, sub-Saharan Africa's basically got nothing. Right. And uh, one of the bottlenecks to producing the number, the amount of vaccines that the world needs is the fact that these companies hold patents over the production of them. Right. But if those were temporarily lifted in an emergency sort of fashion, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden uh, those plans could be made public so that they could be just made, those vaccines could be made in plants all over the world yeah. at a much rapid, much more rapid rate. Yeah. And it's, help- it's three to six months to scale up uh, like a production facility to make these. It's not that big of a deal. And it's not just a matter, this is I think really important. It's not like, first of all, it's just the right thing to do yes. to get as many vaccines all over the world as we can to help people. Just, just on the on the level of helping people, just on the level is, of morality. Yeah, it yes. is the right thing to do. But if you need a selfish reason to do this, we need for the world to be vaccinated as quickly as possible because as a virus has the opportunity to spread, every time a virus spreads into a new body mm. <laughs> as in a new infection, it has the opportunity to mutate into a new form. And just to be more efficient to get around the body's defenses, whatever. Exactly. And so the more opportunities we give the virus to mutate, if like we keep letting infections run rampant worldwide, the virus mutates, mutates, mutates. It could eventually mutate to a, a, a form in which it could evade the vaccinations we've all been getting. And then come back to the United States. And, we've and here we go again with pandemic two. At square one. Yes. Yeah. So if you purely need a selfish reason yeah. <laughs> to do this, that's it. We and need. A, and also like libertarians don't feel bad for Pfizer. 
Yes, this will be eating into some profits in the short term for Pfizer here temporarily, but don't feel bad. Pfizer is projecting it's going to make $26 billion in profit in 2021 alone from its vaccine. Oh, goodness. And Moderna is going to make $18.4 billion. They're doing all They're right. They're doing freaking amazing. I mean, that would be enough profits for a thousand years for any company. Well, and also, also um, on top of all that, back to sort of like a more like a morality based like analysis, the research that was used to develop these vaccines was funded by taxpayer dollars. Oh, interesting. It's public funds that that developed the research that made these vaccines possible. So the fact that, you know, that private companies are making this kind of profit off of something that's made possible because of publicly funded research is a whole other thing you should just spend some time thinking and about. And that's just like, that's really like the classic neoliberal model, right? You socialize the risk, you privatize the reward. Right. So we need not, to change that, people. We're not feeling bad for Pfizer or Moderna. No, we're, we're feeling great for them because they've made a ton of profit. They should be very happy. They're probably very stoked. $26 billion. Wow, so good. And let's just get this in people's arms around the world. Yeah. But and then also, you know what? In a couple of years, like once you've got under control, Let's like revert the patents back to the companies and the ongoing booster shots. They can make profit on that too. Or not. Or I mean, not. whatever. It's for the yeah. public good. Like That's true. none of us do, none of us is, Pfizer's not going to be able to continue to make billions of profit, dollars of profit if, if the world is constantly like in economic upheaval. I mean, maybe the, maybe the farmer companies are the only companies that could make profit in a, in a world that's plagued by pandemic after pandemic. No, it's kind of literally true. Yeah, but like the world suffers. <laughs> the world yeah. will suffer the more, we, the more we don't actually like address worldwide pandemics as a collective problem that we need to solve collectively and maybe not allow a small number of individuals to profit massively off of ending. Anyway. Very interesting. Good news about the, the U.S. government throwing their weight behind the waiver of the patents. It all, you know, you're making a case there that sounds a whole lot like a very good sort of entry point argument to the idea of nationalizing Pfizer. Because I, if profiting yeah. off of making people better is immoral, which I think you just sort of conclusively proved is, I, yeah. and... If we're going to have an ongoing permanent need for pharmaceutical, well, and and if we're already funding their research with our tax dollars, Mm -hmm. well, why shouldn't we also be the ones making the profit from that? I think it's an interesting argument. Or indeed, controlling whether there is any profit. Indeed, what if it were owned by the government and it were a non-profit situation. There are a bunch of uh, lawmakers currently, like progressive lawmakers. I, I saw a tweet from Elizabeth Warren this morning who was like, we really ought, the government could save people so much money on their drug purchases if the government manufactured like really basic medications that that people need for like life-saving medications, you know, things like insulin, things like HIV and AIDS drugs, you know, stuff that like a lot of people need. Malaria drugs. Yeah, that currently are ridiculously expensive yeah. and dr- prices driven by, you know, profit-minded CEOs of pharma companies. Yeah. 
which again, totally immoral when we're dealing with people's lives. Yes. You know, there, there is a push to have the government be the one to manufacture some of those things in order to get them to people cheaper, to keep the costs down, and to help save lives. This could be great. We could still employ 100% of the people who are, still, who are currently employed by the pharma companies. Totally. All the scientists, all the researchers, everybody would still have their jobs, still get paid really well. That would be unchanged. The only people who would lose their jobs would be like two or three or four like people in the C-suite, like CEOs, whatever. Hell, we could even give them government positions right in the company <laughs> because they have their expertise. They wouldn't maybe be able to make like, you know, $130 million a year. They might have to settle for only like five or $6 million a year, which I'm sure <laughs> would be a crushing blow. But I wonder if they might be able to adapt. <laughs> I don't know, Jamie, could you adapt to to making $5 million a year? <laughs> you know. It's just absurd when you I think mean, about it, right? The, the greedy part of me is like, sure, $5 million is fine, a life-changing amount of money. <laughs> but if I could get one thirty. Why the hell should I want five? And that's why I'm a terrible person. And that's why pharma CEOs are terrible people too. You're so, amazing. So I empathize. Yeah, you empathize with those CEOs. Yeah. That's good. I, I, I like them, desire to make $130 million. You know, I don't. No, seriously, me neither. Yeah, I know you're being facetious, but yeah, like, God. More money, more problems. Ugh, seriously. Um, can I say some of my good news? Yes, Shannon. What's your okay, good news? Okay, so um, my my good news is also health related. There's oh, a lot good. of like health related stuff. Uh, but the first one is that there was this uh, new study that came out like I think late last week that found that uh, psychedelic drugs like MDMA mm -hmm. uh, can significantly reduce PTSD symptoms. Mm -hmm. Like it can like it deal with PTSD in a way that. Uh, that other drugs that have been used, other treatments that have been used uh, just haven't been as effective. It's really exciting. That is so exciting. Um, that is, I mean, MDMA is, oh. is a is a manufactured drug. Yes, it is. But there are some, uh, there, there are also some other um, uh, psychedelic uh, compounds found in nature that right. might actually be able to, uh, that, that might actually be able to address this a similar kind of, in a similar kind of way. There's already research underway, like yeah. well underway with psilocybin, like mm -hmm. uh, you know, magic mushrooms. Also uh, ayahuasca, obviously. Also, this is stuff that's that's not new. No. <laughs> it's been used for centuries before we ever uh, had like modern medicine. You have, you have the wrong time scale there. Millennia. Millennia. Thank you. We're yes. talking about going back to like ancient Rome and the Aztecs. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I really that was that was just it was good news to hear sort of a, the scientific re, you know study result of this this idea. Yeah. I I mean I would really hope that like this might move us a little closer toward destigmatizing things like you know yeah. uh, th these kinds of drugs to, and and also you know really, cannabis. I mean it's, it, cannabis has already been destigmatized quite a lot, mm -hmm. but like there's a lot of like natural substances that are really useful for people's physical and mental health. Totally. Um, and we have really just trapped ourselves in this tiny little box because of the stigmas our society has placed around some of those things. And the reason we place stigmas around those things is because that is what pharma has wanted us to do. Well, and it was also, it was all, I mean, when it comes to cannabis, that was also a racially motivated yes. uh, decision back in, during, you know, the prohibition era, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, I mean, we, we have, we have caused ourselves a lot of undue pain by, <laughs> by, um, by keeping ourselves trapped in this little box. But, you know, I, or it's the state of Oregon, this last year became the first state in the nation to decriminalize drugs, period. Yeah. Like there's no criminalization of drugs, which A, 
you know, um, when people, you know, are, are using drugs or, you know, if they're, if they're abusing drugs, instead of being sentenced to jail, they are given opportunities for treatment. If it's a, if it's a drug situation that's where they've, where it's not doing them good, if they're, you know, in a situation where they're addicted, for instance, um, which is, that's better for everybody. It's better for the person. It's better for society. It's better all the way around. But also that decriminalization opens, it opens a little bit more of the door toward this idea of like, what if the good ones we can use for good, Yeah, you know? And, and I think that's a good thing all the way around. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. A second piece of good news for my good news machine this Hit week. Me. And that is that um, on Monday, so this is Tuesday, so it was yesterday, Monday, uh, the Biden administration announced that healthcare providers cannot discriminate against transgender people. Hell yeah. This is the latest reversal of a policy put in place by the previous administration that was just motivated by bigotry. Like, yeah. just full stop. Like, th- it, it, I remember. I remember when that when they put that rule in place that like they were telling tell, telling healthcare providers that you can discriminate against transgender people, and it's just it's obscene that you know this shouldn't be on the good news machine list because it should just be a given that no matter who you are, you can get medical care. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Like this idea that 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 healthcare providers could decide who they're going to give care to and who they're not going to give care to based on their own bigoted ideas is just absolutely obscene. Yeah, it's wild. It is wild. You know, I, I, I had this sort of like, I don't know, crystallization of, of this idea a few years back that like, you know, I think that a lot of the motivation for this kind of thing, for these kinds of bigoted policies is like, okay, well, if we, if we allow for, you know, transgender people to not receive healthcare, or if we can fire them from their jobs or refuse them housing, you know, that like somehow we're like saying that as a society, we don't think this is right. And therefore we're going to, you know, uh, try to eliminate that, those kinds of people from our from our body politic, you know? So like, like the, the best way to couch this is it's like a pogrom against well, I mean, trans people. It is really, but yeah. you know, like, and I think that that's where folks are coming from when they're, when they, when they endorse or make policies like this. So yeah. we're going to eliminate, we're going to eliminate, and they would call it behavior. We would, we're going to eliminate this kind of behavior. And of course, being transgender is not a behavior. No. It is something that a person is. It's not a, it's not a, a choice of action, yeah. <laughs> right? So, like, but I think that what, when when people who endorse these kinds of policies, you know, think about this. They they think about it as we're going to eliminate this kind of behavior in society because we think it's morally wrong, right? And th- this this idea came to me like a couple of years ago, where it was like it really just crystallized for me. It's like you know what. No matter what you think about transgender people or gay people or, or you name it, any kind of person, it's not going to make those people, the policies that you make to, to discriminate against them, it's not going to make them cease to exist. The only thing that you have the choice, you, you, you don't have the choice to, to decide whether or not there are gay people or whether or not there are transgender people. You only have the choice of whether you are going to be a person who treats other people with dignity or not. Yeah. That's it. That's really it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's this really like messed up worldview that by making things dif- more difficult for people who <sighs> live lives that, that you don't agree with, for whatever messed up moral reason you think you you had this thought, you know, that like that by that by treating them as less than human, 
like you think you're doing any better? Like it's just it's just it's it's confounding to me. <laughs> it angers me more than just about anything. <laughs> it it implies your line of argumentation implies a level of self awareness and self reflection that I genuinely don't believe that people doing this sort of stuff uh, have. No, I guess not. But I guess that's, that's all the more reason for those of us who don't fall into categories that are that are traditionally marginalized. You know, those of us who are. Uh, White, able-bodied, cisgendered. Thank you. That it's more important for us to continue to lift up our uh, brothers and sisters and everybody in between, you know, yeah. uh, in, the, in the fullness of their humanity with joy and celebration of who they are as people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's more important for us to, to be active in that work all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, people, there's little stuff that you can do that really helps. Uh, here, I'll give you one for free. Here's one. On your social media profiles, like your uh, Instagram, your Twitter, whatever, something you can do is you can modify your display name to have your pronouns after it. So, for example, right. mine say Jamie Hill, parenthesis, he slash him, end parenthesis, right? Uh, and all that really is affirming is that I am what I appear on the outside to be, which means I am cisgendered, right? I was born in a container that matches how I feel on the inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like any big news or any big update. It's not like anyone's going to read that and be like, what, he's a guy? Like, yeah, no shit, I look like a guy. But here's the thing, by me doing it, even though I probably don't really need to, mm-hmm. what it does is it normalizes it for people who do need to. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it kind of seem more societally, generally normal. Mm-hmm. And that's a wonderful, simple, subtle little thing that you can just do to be an ally that takes basically no effort mm-hmm. whatsoever. Yeah, it normalizes it for everyone. And also I think that uh, what I've heard from from people who are from, from transgender friends, when they see that other people are doing that proactively, like giving their pronouns proactively, um, it makes it, it is an in immediate indication that they are likely more safe with that person. Yeah. <laughs> because they, because that because that person is someone who clearly understands the need to normalize this kind of communication about pronouns. That's right. Great idea. Really good. Thanks for that. It's sort of like uh, a pronoun equivalent of wearing like that little safety pin situation <laughs> that a couple people were doing a couple years ago. Remember that? Yeah. Totally. A little clue that you're a safe person. That's a nice thing to do for somebody to Absolutely. demonstrate that you're a safe person for them. Because yeah. you know what? The people who are uh, trans people, like they are like dealing with the absolute worst shit in our society right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. They are the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. They are the butt of all of the worst jokes. They are the most marginalized. Mm-hmm. They are in the line of fire. They are on the chopping block right now. Imagine if your rights were just arbitrarily, imagine if your essential humanity was just arbitrarily on a societal chopping mm-hmm. block because someone thought it could get him ahead politically. <sighs> imagine that, yeah. listener. Seriously, like, Take a moment and really imagine, because you're probably white. Most people probably listen to our podcast are white, you know what I mean? Because most people in America are white. And it's like, really imagine, like, your white self. Imagine if someone had the power to say to you, you know what? We're just going to change what rights you have. We're going to make it so you can't have health care. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're a woman, you kind of understand what this is about already because people are doing this to women too, vis-a-vis mm-hmm. healthcare. Well, yeah. But like, it's mm-hmm. really, it's a good exercise in empathy to really just pause for a second. Imagine how that would feel to you, mm-hmm. right? And then armed with that horror, with that mm. terrifying understanding of how scary and alone that would feel. How like every time you left your house, you might feel as though you were running into danger, you mm-hmm. know? Like let that inspire you to even just do small things to try to be on the right side of this. Or incorporate that kind of, of uh, that kind of 
those kinds of actions into your everyday life yeah. where you can, you know, it isn't, they don't have to be, like you said, they can be relatively small things, but if you do, if you're doing them every day, mm-hmm. then, um, then, then you're part of the work toward justice. That's it. You're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Yeah. And really like, if you're not doing anything, you're part of the problem. That's, true. That's kind of the deal. Uh, silence as in all of these situations favors the oppressor. Mm-hmm. So that was all good. That was part of the good news machine, I right? I love it. It was the good news that, that the Biden administration reversed that horrible, awful rule that uh, was going to allow healthcare providers to discriminate against transgender people no longer. Good job. Yes, elections matter. So what has our experience been this last this week? This last week, gosh, it was the new song came out last Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that same day we had our, our Misfit Stars meetup, which is one of my favorite things we do all month these days. Always the best time of the month. Um, and we, the following day, we had a day off, but we had a, a, a one of our first like post-vaccination uh, hangouts with a friend that we mm-hmm. haven't seen in many, many months because of COVID. And we knew that was coming and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful hangout. We knew though... We learned from our first couple of social interactions a couple of weeks ago that we would be tired yeah. <laughs> after that hangout. So we proactively scheduled an extra day off for ourselves on Sunday just to rest. And we protected it. We didn't schedule anything with anybody. Mm-mm. We didn't, you know. I didn't get on social media. It was really nothing. good. It was very, very good. Yeah. So good good job us. Self-care. We actually did some. It's very good. Yeah. And I also, uh, I want to let everybody know that we finally did our taxes. Oh, yeah. So you can you can start. <laughs> Stop worrying. I'm sure you were concerned. Like, wow, if Jamie and Shannon got their taxes yeah, in by yet, the way, we did it. The, your taxes, uh, taxes are, the tax day is next Monday. Yeah. Same day as our new song comes out. Great. You can celebrate having your taxes done <laughs> with our new song, which coincidentally is about taxes. No, it's not. Okay. So why hey, don't we take a little break? Yeah. And when we come back, we will dive into this new song. Awesome. Sounds good. All right. Back in a sec. <laughs> you miss us? <laughs> so song nine from the 2021 101 project is called That Happy Day. And, and it's a different kind of song for us. Oh yeah? Like, what do you mean? I just don't think we've ever really made a song like this before. Uh, the feel of it uh-huh. is unique in your catalog. It's true. It is. It was fun to work on. Oh, it was great. I had a good time. Yeah. Should we uh, set up the song and play the song and then talk about it some more? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, great. All right, I'll start. So... As you may remember from previously in this project, some of the questions we asked in our story collecting were, what were the most significant events for you in 2020? What were the sources of your greatest joys in 2020? What are you saying goodbye to at the end of 2020? And what are you saying hello to in the coming new year? We received a lot of very emphatic and enthusiastic and often quite hmm, colorful (laughs) answers to these questions having to do with the outcome of the election on November 3rd. Did people use grown-up words? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> As one respondent said, and in which I think really captures the essence of most of the responses we received on the topic, there were a lot of, quote, big feelings <laughs> surrounding the lead up to and the aftermath of that event, including having the experience of a big sigh and renewed hope. Yeah, big feelings for sure. People shared how the outcome of the election contributed to a major drop in the levels of stress they'd been experiencing. I know that was my experience for sure. They talked about how they felt the world tipping back to the good. Mm -hmm. They expressed feelings of hope for a better tomorrow and joy in looking forward to what was to come in 2021. And also, many people shared about how they found themselves empowered, often for the first times in their lives, not merely to hope for the outcome they wanted, but to get involved in working for the result that they recognized we desperately needed as a country, and which they ended up getting to celebrate with exuberant relief, along with millions of others around the country who also showed up to work for that result. A celebration that I I know, for myself included, felt Mm -hmm. sweeter, knowing that they'd been an active part of making it happen. People told us about how they realized in 2020 that election results were far from guaranteed to work out the way they wanted them to, and that the stakes for our democracy and for humanity were too great to remain on the sidelines and just wait to see what would happen. So they stepped out on limbs to volunteer for voter registration efforts. They worked up the courage to use their voices in spaces where they had previously held back. They took themselves out of their comfort zones to write postcards and letters to people all over the country to get out the vote. They set aside their nervousness to join phone and text banks, contacting voters in far-flung states to remind them of when and where they could cast their ballots. They donated money to campaigns, and some of them even became first-time voters. Amazing. More than in any previous election year, people realized the essential role they have to play as individual citizens of our democracy, that being a government of the people, by the people, and for the people is a contract that requires the people, that's us, to show up to make it work for us, to make it work as a vessel for creating the kind of world that we want to inhabit. Because we have also learned, painfully, that when we stay on the sidelines, there are others whose interests do not include the creation of a society characterized by compassion, justice, and equity for all, who are more than happy to step into that void that we create with our absence in the democratic process and to entrench a system that works only for their own benefit. Many of us learned this year that we are damn lucky to live in a democracy, which means that we don't have to passively accept any leaders or systems that don't align with what is good and right and just. Rather, we have the power to choose who leads us and to choose what our priorities are as a nation to build a society that aims for goodness and justice. And also that, in the face of active voter suppression movements and the rise of authoritarianism, which are both still making moves in a big way as we talk, Mm -hmm. we will only get to keep our democracy as long as we participate in it and fight like hell to keep it. In 2020, we lived through a big, emotional, living illustration of the notion that the future isn't something that we're going to arrive at. It is something that we will create And hope is not something to be found, it is something to be built. Hopefully, we'll carry this lesson with us and put it into action in the days and years to come as we fight to hold on to our democracy and make the world better for those who will come after us. As one of our respondents wrote, there is so much more to be done. More hope to create, more futures to build, and more spontaneous dancing in the streets to celebrate more happy days. Sigh. 
things about that it's just fun it's engaging to listen to yeah 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 yeah. so so yeah this was this was um 
a, a theme that emerged from our story collection, right? Like, you know, there were, we, we asked people like the open-ended questions yeah. about like, what was your experience in 2020? And there were a lot of folks. <laughs> when I laughed earlier about people using colorful, colorful language mm-hmm. to describe their feelings, it, <laughs> it was really quite funny yeah. reading through people's responses. They had some choice words for the previous uh, residents of the White House. <laughs> yeah. Not, a, not some, everyone had positive opinions there. Some strong feelings. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's a man who inspires strong feelings. That's a thing we can say about him. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I always try to be positive. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <sighs> but it was. A, but this was a major event in people's, you know, it was a major event. It was always going to be a major event, the, the 2020 election. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic really put that into even greater relief, you know, um, I think made it made it even even more potent of a, a big event in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know for me personally, like uh, leading up to the election of 2020 was a very stressful time. Like, oh my God. I, and we we channeled all of that stress into getting on the phone and joining phone banks for the Wisconsin Voter Protection Team. We volunteered so many hours. Uh, we, we we volunteered more than full time for about seven weeks. Yeah. <laughs> no Which, kidding. For I'm like so, the seven weeks up through the election, and then also for a few days after because there was all the recount stuff. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, and I'm really grateful that we had the flexibility to do that because yeah. it was really helpful to sort of channel that that stress the feeling of stress into actually working towards the result we needed yeah. you know stress in a vacuum is really unproductive right like if you're not doing it if you're not ch- channeling it somewhere mm. you just turn it inside you mm-hmm. know stress it's, it's like a they say this about resentment in aa that resentment is like an acid that corrodes the vessel that contains it mm-hmm. and i think that stress about this kind of thing functions in a very similar way yeah like if you don't find some productive place outside of you to get this stress in a productive way, mm-hmm. then it just stays inside you and mm-hmm. kind of destroys you. Yeah. And I honestly, I feel like for probably a lot of my adult life, I viewed elections uh, or I viewed the outcome of elections in terms of like, well, I'm going to cast my vote and I can just hope that it goes the way I want it to. Yeah. But I felt largely powerless to do anything more than that, yeah. you know? Um, and... I think I think that this year a lot of us learned that that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> you know that actually our involvement does make a difference, and um, not only does it help us deal with that stress that we're feeling, you know, like it doesn't it it helps our mental own mental state, but actually when we each show up to do a little bit of work to move the country in the right direction, mm-hmm. it actually that it actually matters when it all when you add all that up you know, like how many millions and millions of postcards were written by people encouraging folks to get out and vote this year i mean like it was I mean, probably hundreds of millions an astounding number yeah of- every single stressed out liberal wrote a thousand postcards <laughs> and how many of those were there about a hundred million so i'm guessing we probably wrote about i don't know 10 billion postcards but it's not just <laughs> it's not just people who would self-identify as liberals either i yeah. think it, people who care about democracy yeah. saw that this election was a a real tipping point. Like we, if, if Biden hadn't won on November 3rd, we'd be in a much different scene right now. (sighs) I mean, like I can't even, I can't even bear to think about where we would be (laughs) right now if, if that outcome hadn't happened, you know? Um, And I mean, what was your feeling like the day after we learned the results or the day of like, what, what was your experience? It was a lot of repressed, not repressed, but it was just a lot of stuff that I hadn't felt like I had the ability to deal with or the right proper place mm-hmm. or context to deal with all mm-hmm. coming up at once. Yeah, I felt overwhelmed and I felt stressed and I felt incredibly happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cried, like there was just 
all <laughs> kinds of conflicting stuff. I was a mess, Yeah, you know, because like every single hope and fear that I'd had around that situation for the preceding, I don't know, four years, mm-hmm. finally had a resolution and all of it just kind of went bleh yeah. out of me. And for, and for me too, it was all that. And, and also there was resolution and also not at the same time because- right the previous president still hasn't admitted that he lost the election. No, quite the opposite. And like, you know, and, and so there was that tension. There was there was resol- resolution and at the same time, the most powerful person on the planet really like pouring gasoline on his efforts to thwart democracy yeah. <laughs> and to thwart the outcome of the election itself, yeah. you know? And that that was this other, so like resolution and also, oh, but wait, it's not quite over yet. We have a few more months to get through. Like one of our respondents to this, to to our questions, mm-hmm. story, tell, story collecting, um, in talking about the election, uh, it was, I think it was a question about like, what are you, what are you saying goodbye to in 2020? What are you saying hello to in 2021? It yeah. was kind of the, the question. And her response was, my new year doesn't begin until inauguration day. Yes. And I and I remember like, feeling the same way, you Seriously. know, like that there was just a kind of just, we we knew, we, we thought we knew what was coming, but we were just kind of all holding our breath. And we learned for good reason. I mean, January 6th, there was Holy a freaking insurrection at the Capitol. I mean, literally there was one branch of government, the executive branch, the president, the office of the president, was attempting to to thwart the efforts of an, another equal branch of government, the, yeah. the United States Congress, to certify the election results. It's wild. It is absolutely wild. Like I, I you know, I don't think about the insurrection all that much. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think that there are a lot of people who would really rather that we all forget about it. But people, <laughs> people died. Yeah. And 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 those those. Uh, insurrectionists who breached the Capitol wanted to kill Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and Mike Pence, the Vice President, yeah. because they believed that they were uh, stealing the election from Trump. And they believed that because the president was telling them that. Yes. And, and there's a whole bunch of people for whom if the president says something, that's good enough for them. They believe it. Well, here's and the that's thing. not unfair. The president was telling them that and also a whole big swath of Republican uh Legislators, yeah, or elected amp- officials. Elected officials were amplifying that message, supporting the president in that, and not doing the responsible thing, and not doing their duty to the Constitution by declaring that those were lies. The election yeah. was not stolen. Yeah, this is our democratic responsibility, our constitutional responsibility to go forward with the certifying these election results. You know, there there are a huge number of elected official, elected Republican officials in Congress. So they're still in Congress, who bear equal responsibility for encouraging the insurrection and encouraging the attempted overthrow of our democracy. Yeah. So, I mean, given that, like the fact that we got to celebrate this, <laughs> this win from November 3rd, you know, it was a, it was a tempered celebration. Yeah, for in sure. A way, you and know? also, and so things have been going really well since then, right? Like Biden's been off to a terrific start. He's been doing so it's much true. better than I think that a lot of us thought he would. Like mm. he was, not Trump, and so I voted for him as enthusiastically as I've ever voted for anybody. It's so true. <laughs> but I also had pretty low expectations. I was like, as long as he just isn't Trump, cool. Yeah. Whatever he does, like, you know, fine. But he's actually done some really wonderful progressive it's stuff true. already, and it looks as though he really has an FDR-esque, like, shockingly progressive vision for the direction of the country. A vision, the idea that the government can help. Yes, the vision for the idea, the idea that the government... 
uh, can help to, can help people. Yes, <laughs> and it's really a repudiation of what we have known, like almost literally our entire lives. Like since 1980, the Reagan Revolution was mm. like ushered in on the back of the idea that government is not the answer; government is the problem, Mm-mm. right? And that's what we have been told for like our essentially entire lives. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was born in 72, so for me, I was I was seven. Mm-hmm. It was I was no, I just turned eight before that election, uh, and so my entire consciousness of politics has always sort of had one side framing it as the idea that government is bad. And you hear that enough. You hear that for 40 years yeah. and it starts to sink in, right. right? You start to buy little bits of the idea that even the politicians that are theoretically on your team or on your side, because they're government, they're bureaucrats, they're a net private citizens could do it better. You know, mm. it's a toxic worldview. And obviously, if you and just take a myth, a, yeah, and if you, <laughs> cause if you take even the tiny step back and just look at it for just, just a fraction of a second, Obviously, a huge centralized entity with tax collecting powers that can then redistribute like money around our country to help solve, like, can help solve problems in a way that no other entity can. Right. Like, yeah, man, your church group is great, but like, it's not going to fix homelessness in the United mm-hmm. States of America. Mm-hmm. You might fix homelessness in the quarter square mile around your church, mm-hmm. and that's amazing, and everyone should do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I am not anti people doing small personal things when they can because every single person helping in the world makes a difference energetically as well as practically and so I'm all for it Mm -hmm. but if you want to get systemic things changed it has to by necessity be a federal level response it's got to be a whole of government response right and and, I mean the the most prosperous era of all of American history came on the back of FDR's policies for yeah. the New Deal and, you know, and, and creating a government that actually worked for the people. Yeah. And somehow we've forgotten that in our historical memory. Well, it's you easy know. because the people with all the money are the people who are against that because right. corporations and the wealthy are the ones who get taxed to make all of this other stuff happen. And so, of course, they hate it because- Because they need like $130 the asshole billion. Versus, billion dollars. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> just like asshole me half an hour ago, they don't just need $6 million. They need $130 million because- <laughs> They have no soul. Well, I, I would, I would. Well, corporations have no soul. I would say that. I would. Well, the Supreme I would, Court would beg to differ. I would. I understand that, but I would. I, I hesitate any dehumanizing language about anybody, even if that person is a greedy CEO. <laughs> okay, I, I, I accept that. Yeah, but anyway, but but my point is, you know, if we just look at the at the facts of history, you know, uh, when when we as a nation decided that the government could work for the people, it ushered in the greatest period time period of prosperity and peace in our in our nation's history there were a lot of problems with that period as well because civil rights has was not part of the uh those initiatives right. um it was not an equally uh, an equitable effort in no. terms of uh race there was housing for the middle class but as long as you were white. Right. So, I mean, there were big, huge flaws, but the precedent still stands that, you know, when we decide as a society that we want the government to work for the people, it can, and it can do great things. And here's the thing about, like, government and this message that you were saying, have we been, like, hammered home with this idea that government is bad, Mm -hmm. right? Government is just how we we organize ourselves as a society, as people. We're human beings that that were born onto planet Earth, Mm -hmm. and we, we, we are living together among each other and the government, uh, and, and in this case, our, our democracy here in the United States is how we have organized ourselves to function together yeah. as people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that we really learned in 2020 and what I learned from our story collecting is that people sort of had a bit of an awakening that, that democracy and this organization of our government isn't just 
uh, a given. That's right. That it actually, like, if 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 it is something that we, is it, if this is how we organize ourselves as people, then we, the people, actually have to be involved in it for it to function properly. Yeah. You know, and I think that a lot of us have tuned out, and some of us have tuned out for really good reasons. Folks are freaking busy. Sure. <laughs> you know, they've got a lot of stresses in their lives. You know, people who are trying to raise kids and you know finish their college degree and you know yeah. work a full time job. I get it. And part of the Republicans strategy has been to make politics seem toxic and confusing as a way of turning ordinary Americans away from it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that plays into it too, because if you have two minutes of free time in your day, why on earth would you spend it thinking about this toxic, horrible mm -hmm. thing? Mm -hmm. Politics people is not toxic and horrible by its nature. Right. And it's also not a symmetrical thing. It's not a both sides thing. It's not that there are two bilateral halves of this problem where there are Republicans and there are Democrats and they are both equal and they are both equally contributing to the idea that government is toxic. That's not true. It is true to say that a central core part of the Republican view of government for the last 40 years since the Reagan revolution has been the idea that you go to Washington to prove that Washington doesn't work. And so you show up in Washington to sabotage it, to make oh, right. it look bad, to make it not function well, but also to be a horrible spokesperson for it, to be a <laughs> loathsome son of a bitch, yeah. you know, and to make it seem as though that is what government is, just a series of loathsome sons of bitches. <laughs> But it's not. <laughs> That's probably going to be the episode title, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I, I think that, that a lot of us had, had an awakening last year that, that no, actually, we reject the myth that politics is bad and that the government is bad. That, that actually those politics is, is just how we hash out how we want to organize our government and our government is just how we organize our society and it's up to us we we are damn lucky to live in a democracy we are damn lucky to live in a place where still we get a say in what our priorities are as a nation yeah we cannot take that for granted and that was one of the big lessons of, of last year that celebration that we got to have yeah. where, i mean i loved it i loved watching the news that day we we don't have tv but we like signed up for hulu just for the month so yeah. we could like watch stuff you know uh you know on, on tv or maybe it was online because it was in november i don't remember anyway but we were tuning in like you know to news coverage and like just seeing people like showing up with masks on dancing in streets oh all over gosh. the country that yeah. was so i think the, awesome uh, i think the term you're looking for is antifa riots no <laughs> No, those were not Antifa riots. Oh, they weren't? It was joyous. Because I was, was watching Fox and I guess I heard something different than you. <laughs> but my point is that, you know, I, I hope that that, that day of celebration that we had, those yeah. days of celebration that we had, I hope that that, like, that, that that plants a seed. I hope that we have now gotten the bug mm -hmm. for that kind of victory because because the battle is not over, you know, like we are currently dealing right now with, um, I mean, the, the big lie that, that inspired the insurrection, the big mm -hmm. lie that the election was stolen. Yeah. Um, that, that's only grown since January 6th. Yeah. It's not gotten smaller. Um, there are still, you know, there are still, there were still 146 uh, Republican Congress people who voted to not certify the election results after the insurrection. After the insurrection, having happened. learned precisely nothing, um, and you know, actually they did learn something. What they learned is that it was amazing television and that it rallied a whole bunch of people to their side, and so right. they went, they followed it. But what's currently happening, like there were like 
two Republicans that voted to uh, certify the election results, I think. Maybe it was more, but it was a very small number. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those people was Liz Cheney, who is not like a hero by any stretch of the imagination. Her dad was Dick Cheney, who was like the author of like horrible CIA interrogation techniques and like mm -hmm. just bad stuff, right? Yeah. Like so a genuinely bad human being. Yeah, like, but so I'm not like praising Liz Cheney, but Liz Cheney was one of the people who voted to certify the election, who said the election was legal, it was run properly, these were the results, we're going to certify the results because that's our constitutional duty. And also duty. that there is a judicial process for raising any questions that has been done. It has been done and, and, and roundly uh, defeated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she is still speaking up on that yep. and tomorrow she's going to be voted out of her, her uh, position of power within the Republican Party. Yep. Her party is, is kicking her out of the number three position in the, in the House that she currently holds because she refuses to uphold the big lie. So it's really wild. We are really, we are, we are, the reason I bring all this up is that like that celebration that we had, that will be short-lived <laughs> if, if we don't keep up the effort yeah. to preserve democracy. And right now there are some things that, that we need to be doing as a nation to preserve democracy. There are voter suppression bills passing left and right in states where they, where there is unified Republican control, Florida, Georgia, and uh, was it? Arizona mm -hmm. that was... Arizona, the, yeah. And there are other ones coming down the pipeline in a lot of places. They are making it more difficult for people to vote. They, the, the goal is to, is, to, is to make it so that those states can never will never vote for a Democrat ever again. <laughs> well, so that it's structurally impossible right. to do so regardless of what the people would actually choose to exactly, do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Which is anti-democratic in case you're not following yeah. along. Like, but seriously, people, like the, the groundwork that the Republican Party is laying right now is to make it so that starting in 22, quite literally, we can never have Democrat majorities, Democratic majorities again. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a huge, huge, huge problem. Well, there's a word for that, and that's authoritarianism. Yeah. <laughs> when you have like structurally rigged the system so that a minority party can rule forever, yeah. that's no longer a democracy. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, and so right now there's, you know, you probably have heard that there was a bill that passed the House called HR1, mm -hmm. which is the For the People Act. And it was it's major uh, democracy reform. It yeah. is it, it would lock in place a bunch of of reforms that are sound, they are constitutional, they are they are they are pro-democracy. They're desperately needed. That we need in order to make sure that our democracy continues to function as it should. Yeah. It's currently, I think today, uh, it's, it's, now, it's now referred to as S1 because it's in the Senate. It was yep. passed, HR1 was in the House. Now it's to the Senate. They are marking up the bill today, which means that they're, you know, the committee that's in charge of it is like debating it, having conversations, adding you know, ideas, amendments, whatever. Um, but it's starting the process in the Senate. Um, there is a majority of Democratic senators in the Senate. Well, it's a, it's a tie, right? It's 50-50 mm -hmm. Senate. But the tie-breaking vote goes to Kamala Harris, the mm -hmm. vice president. So technically speaking, this bill should pass with Democratic only, Democrat only support. Yeah. Um, the big the big issue here is that there's been this Senate rule, which is not constitution. It's not in the constitution, but a Senate rule that has been abused for decades now, called the filibuster, yeah. which makes it so that a bill requires sixty votes to pass. Way more than a minor, a majority. It allows minority. Uh 
complete a minority obstruction mm -hmm. of popular reforms. Mm -hmm. And it's not that, uh, that it requires 40 senators to say, no, we're stopping this bill. Right. Right? The other 40 versus the 60. It, can only, it, can, it requires one senator who wants to stop the bill to say, I filibuster this bill. And then it can't be voted upon uh, unless 60 people vote to, to vote end the for filibuster. It, to end that, yeah, to end it. Cloture, that's called. Yeah, it's very, this is a very wonky conversation. But the point is that the filibuster is an undemocratic uh, uh, tool. Yes, and, and it's is, a relic of Jim Crow. It, is, it has been historically abused most frequently to keep civil rights uh, uh, laws from passing in the Senate. Yeah. It's got a horrible racial, racist history. And, um, and in this case, it is an anti-democratic thing that's gonna, that has the potential to stop a democracy, democracy reform that if we don't get, really for reals, real talk here, we might not be able to keep our democracy. If we don't get, let, let's put it more bluntly, if this bill doesn't pass before 2022, uh, and before far enough before 2022 that it can have an effect on the, in the 2022 elections. Mm -hmm. Democracy as we know it is over. And that's not an exaggeration whatsoever. It sounds ridiculous to, to hear you say those words, but you're right, it's not yeah. an exaggeration. Yeah, this is our last shot to make sure that we have, for the long term, the ability to have free and fair elections in this country, democratic elections, where there's a possibility for either party mm -hmm. to win based on the ideas that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's another thing about that too, people. So the next election is in 2022. It's a midterm election. That's next year. We, as you know, the Democratic Party, already has some significant structural disadvantages going into that election on the uh, House side of things. And that's just because of the reapportionment that just happened because of the census. Mm -hmm. uh, some votes shifted away from uh, bluer states toward redder states or toward states that are controlled by uh, you know Republican supermajorities uh, in their legislatures and have a Republican governor. Those states, you can bet your bottom dollar, will be redistricting in a gerrymandered way to partisan gerrymander. That's right, to coalesce power around their party. What that means is they can take a situation that might be, you say you have a state that's like 50% Democratic voters, 50% Republican voters. You can draw the voting district lines. All the districts have to be the same size, that's the rule. But you can draw the lines so that like almost all of the Democratic voters are in one or two districts. And then you have a whole bunch of other districts, three, four, five, six districts that are way bigger and way differently sized and have the same number of Republicans. So you can take a 50-50 state and you can make it so that you get you know, two Democratic uh, representatives and six Republican representatives. Right. It's and unfair. It's completely unfair. And That's one of the things that the, S, the For the People Act, the HR1 now S1 bill, would eliminate the possibility of doing partisan gerrymanders. Yeah, so it would make them illegal. Mm -hmm. That's right. Which means you could like sue in court if someone did it and you could stop it. You know, yeah, yeah. you would end up eventually with a situation like California where you have a nonpartisan committee that uh, is basically 50-50. And honestly, if you look at the districts in California, they're kind of just like rectilinear. You know what I mean? Because they're yeah. not trying to like draw it around every individual voter. They're just like, here's a chunk of voters, bleh, you know, yeah, go yeah. vote. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how you do in your district. Right. So I think the, the the point here, and we're you know obviously this is we started by talking about the song, which is a happy <laughs> song, right? Yes. That a happy day. I think the point here is that you know, like we learned last year, democracy is not a given. No, 
you know, and it's, that's still true. We got to celebrate that win. That win gave us the opportunity to save democracy. Yep. That win was not saving democracy. No. <laughs> right? Right. And, and, and same with the, the wins in the Georgia Senate, you know, that, that, that win, those wins were hugely instrumental. Crucial. Uh, they did not on their own save democracy. No. Those wins gave us the opportunity to save democracy, which means the work continues. And I yeah. hope that, you know, if you're listening to this, that you, um, you know, that you are, are on board for the next time. It means that we need to get our pens out. <laughs> you yeah. know, right now you could be calling your senator and telling them how badly you want them to pass the For the People Act. Oh, both of your senators. Uh, senators. You yes. have to. You could, that's right. You could call both of them is what you should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. Yes. You know, and here's another thing. I, when you were talking, you know, we, we, talk, we talk a lot about, when we talk about the government and politics right now, we talk about Republicans and Democrats and, you know, um, Democrats doing good things, Republicans being very, very bad. I, I kind of like, like my, my like internal, like, comp, like, what is it? Sort of, my insides kind of bristle at like separating people into groups and yes. saying bad, good, yeah. right? It's, really, it's, it's not, the politicians, it's not the people. Yeah, and, and here's what I want to say about that. Like when we first started this podcast, we very rarely mentioned the names of political parties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we would talk about issues, policies, social things that were important to us in terms of, you know, uh, other than sort of a part in a partisan way. Over the last, especially the last like six months, even in an accelerated way since January 6th, Mm -hmm. I feel like for myself, there's been a a shift in needing to call out the fact that the majority of elected Republicans right now are working to consolidate their party around authoritarianism. And it is important to say that and name that. When I say Democrats are doing these good things, I, I, I certainly don't have the idea that Demo- all Democrats are all doing good things all the time. There yeah. are lots of Democratic politicians with whom I have major squabbles, yes. <laughs> would have major squabbles about policy ideas and yep. perspectives, right? And there's an equal number who are probably just pretty loathsome human beings, too. Maybe, yeah. You are not a good and virtuous person by virtue of having a D by your name. Exactly. And I just wanted to make that clear because I think that what we're talking about here is is not just about, you know, s- s- squabbling between teams. You no. know, that's not what this is about. We're in a situation where the people who are Republicans who are in elected office right now are doing some really bad shit. And they're doing it in a coordinated fashion. So it's not a coincidence, right? And so... The only uh, and yeah, and the only the, the the way the way in which the most powerful entity in which we have to counteract that right now is the Democratic Party. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that when we talk about you know when I talk about you know needing to support Democratic candidates and that kinds of thing, th- that's why it's because right now there is one party in the United States that is working working as a whole. Uh, to uphold democracy, and yeah. there is another party that is working as a whole to dismantle democracy. Yeah. And that's what we're dealing with. It's yeah. not about the red team and the blue team yeah. and rah, rah, rah for your side. Yeah. This is about the kind of country that we're all going to get to live in in yeah. the future, whether it's going to be a democracy or it's going to be a minority rule authoritarian state. Yeah. And so really, like, you know, on the politician side, there are Republican elected officials, there are Democratic elected officials. You know, and those are Republicans, Republicans and Democrats. And when we say Republicans and Democrats, that's about whom we're speaking. Mm-hmm. But, you know... When there are, you know, if, if you're if you're listening to this and you're like, well, what about the people side of it? Mm. It's really people who are pro democracy and people who are pro anti pro authoritarianism. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so if you're on the democracy side, uh, 
or you're on the authoritarianism side. That's really like where you have to sugar off with this. Yeah. And really like who you're supporting to a, to a large degree really kind of sort of helps shine a light on where you are as a person. That would be a good way for you to reflect. If the people you are supporting currently mm, mm. are the people who are doing the pro-authoritarianism efforts, well, then that means that you're supporting pro-authoritarianism. Right. And if the people whom you're supporting, the politicians, are the ones who are fighting against authoritarianism and trying to preserve democracy, mm -hmm. then you're a pro-democracy person. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably the question for you as, mm. a, as a listener, as a human being, is like, am I pro-democracy or am I pro-authoritarianism? Mm. You know? And there are correlations to to the different mm. political parties right now as they are expressed right. in our country. Right. But that's not always the case. That's just where we're at right now. Yes. Like it could be possible in the future to be a Republican again in good conscience. Well, the Republican Party was the party of Lincoln, right? Abraham Lincoln, Republican Party. He was the guy who, who you know, led us through the Civil War and uh, was instrumental in ending slavery. Yeah. You know, that's that was then. <laughs> yeah. Things have changed. Yes. You know, and things do change. You know, mm -hmm. the Republican Party uh, is a different Republican Party now than it was. Yes. And also, total side note, but if you have to go back like a hundred and I don't know, 60 years to be like, this is the last time we did something good. <laughs> and, or, you know, sometimes, you know, Republican po Republican politicians are like, we're the party that enacted the civil rights legislation. Yeah, that's true. That was 60 years ago. So, you know, if the last time you did something good was 60 years ago, it's probably time to just have a little check-in <laughs> with yourself and see if maybe it's time to maybe do something good again. Yeah, and it's also, like you said, I think it was really a salient point that, you know, this is the, the situation we're dealing with now is that there are a bunch of folks who want to uphold and strengthen democracy and there are a bunch of folks who don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 there are parties that, that generally represent each of those sides right now. It's not, but again, it, but it's not, it's not just about being loyal to your team. You got to think bigger than that. Yes. <laughs> it's really yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, um, back to just trying this back to the song, mm -hmm. you know, I want more of those victory dance days. I yeah. want more of those. I think I'll, I will dance in the streets when S1 passes, yep. <laughs> when the For the People Act passes and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act yep. as well, um, which I think is HR 4, mm -hmm. <laughs> House Resolution 4. Mm -hmm. um, we've, got, we've got more work to do, but I am eager... I, ha I have the bug for more of the celebration days, and I hope you do too. Yeah. If you want to have more happy days, stay active. We have to work for it. That is the, that's the whole point, right? Like November 3rd didn't just happen. No. We worked our butts off for it. Thousands. Collectively. Millions of people, just ordinary people, worked their butts off. Like literally millions of people took a whole shitload of their personal time mm -hmm. and invested it. And we just barely barely eked out the narrowest mm -hmm. of, like you said, not victories, like we got into overtime. <laughs> yeah, That's what we did. Yeah. Like we, we sank a three from half court at the buzzer <laughs> and now we're in overtime. But like, it's, I was going to go for the, the, we got the field goal from the 55 yard line and... Also a three. Also, it's a football three. Oh, I guess so. You're right. Yeah, yeah, totally. But we're in overtime. You're right. The field goal really is the three point... <laughs> Of, of football. I love it. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, we're, but you know what? It, it feels uphill. It felt so uphill last fall. I mean, yep. just check in for a moment. Remember how you felt in October. Yeah. Holy moly. We knew this outcome was not, was not guaranteed. And so we put 
you know, pedal to the metal and kept driving, you know, toward doing the work that we needed to do to get to, to finish strong. Uh, same is true now. And, and, and there are going to be moments where it feels insurmountable. Mm-hmm. But always, 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 will you wake up the day after and, and, and be satisfied with what, what you've done to get the result we needed? Yeah. You know, that's always going to... And, and the work is always worth it. You know, yeah. if you've got kids, the, the world you're going to be leaving them yeah. <laughs> depends upon the work that we all do right now. I don't have kids, yeah. but I still care about the world we're going to leave for yours. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the generations that come beyond, be, behind them even, you know, this is the work. It, 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 is, it is always worth it to work for what is right and good and just. Mm-hmm. And it's up to us. Yeah. It will always be up to us. As important as 2020 was, 2022 is equally important, perhaps more so. Mm. So do not let yourself get lulled into a false sense of security here. Like keep vigilant, keep looking out for opportunities to get involved. We're kind of in a little bit of a, you know, pause, a little bit of a calm after the storm and that's fine. But just like be alert, be awake and be aware that like starting in probably, I don't know, eight months, something like that, we're going to need to ramp up again. Here's the thing though. We're, we're in a lull in terms of campaigning, yes, but we're not in a lull in terms of political activism. That's true. You know, there are, we should be on the phone on a weekly basis to our our representative in Congress and our senators yeah. uh, to tell them, you know, and, and here's the thing. It's not like you have to just like think of this, of what to say to them out of whole cloth by yourself. Um, I recommend uh, going to indivisible.org mm-hmm. um, and signing up to get their, uh, their newsletters. They send out action items every week. Like here's the three things that you can do to benefit democracy this week. Yeah. And it's really helpful. And they give you links to the phone numbers to call your representative and your senators. And they give you a script to read. It is very, very easy. So indivisible.org. If you're interested in getting involved, I would recommend uh, them. Uh, They they do a great job also explaining the issues so that you can kind of get your head wrapped around them uh, before you call and and as you're thinking about the issues that are before us. So Mm -hmm. action item. That's a good one. I like it. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Very much, people. Um, if you have a story about this stuff, yeah, uh, I know a lot of people listening got really involved last year. Mm-hmm. And we would love to just hear what that was like for you. You could write me a paragraph. I mean, you could write me 3,000 words. I've had somebody do that. <laughs> you can write as much or as little as you're moved to. Uh, but please, like, note your thoughts about it. That would be wonderful. And you can send them to jamie at misfitstars.com. And even if you didn't get involved in the election last year, yep. but if you want to share what your experience was like in the run-up to it or in mm-hmm. the time after when we learned the results, and you yep. want to just share what it felt like. We would love that. Yeah, we'd love to hear that too. Yeah, we just want to know as many people's experiences as possible. And, you, and your voice matters. So please, uh, jamie at misfitstars.com, send that along. Awesome. And the other action item for you, if you would like to support the work that Shannon and I are doing on an ongoing basis, well, we would love that. You can go to misfitstars.com slash join and get signed up. We will invite you to our private Misfit Stars social network, which is so great. And you, if you would like to, can also be a member of our Misfit Stars anti-racism book and movie club. Mm-hmm. Misfitstars.com slash join for that. Awesome. Y'all, thank you so much for hanging out with us and giving us some of your time today. We will be back next week with more goodies. Can't wait. Uh, Until then, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love you all. Bye-bye. Bye.